We could walk away from the end of the year and go, it's been a good year, I feel like we've had a good amount of impact. The question is, give me an example, how, why. If you kind of flummox by the first question, then you haven't created a good impact. This is the simplest way of ensuring you have a culture of innovation. How did you identify who would be the right person to focus on and help become a better leader? There's another artist that I'll try and give you the short one. I grew up feeling like a fraud in my own skin and it lit a fire in me. The fire burning out, that fear resonates with a lot of people. If you're doing something which every day contributes to something bigger than you, the fire's going nowhere. Adam, my friend, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you. Uh, thanks for having me, Mo. Very happy to be here. It's it's a real pleasure. We've been having a few conversations on and off kind of uh, before doing this, and you're someone that I've wanted to get on here because there's a lot that I want to cover with you. Um, you have a very interesting lifestyle. Um, you run a few companies. Uh, we'll chat more about that as well. Um, and I'm curious to just hear about kind of your journey, how you got there, and then what your insights are in business. I'm sure it'd be very, very good for our listeners today. So uh, very nice. excited to have you here, my friend. Lots to cover. Yeah, exactly. I wanted to start with, um, I, I, it's a bit of a cheesy question, man, but what gets you up in the morning? Like you're doing this at 9am right now, right? You know, why Why are you getting up at 9am? Do you feel like you need to? Uh, yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> if I didn't, I would hate everything about my life. <laughs> okay. For me, like your life is about being, um, success is about being aligned with your values and living a life aligned with your values. You know, you've heard me talk about it a lot. I've done lots of talks about it, written about it, but you know, living misaligned is empty, living aligned is full. And, um, so for me, like, you know, some of my values, are I like, I want to move forward. I want to evolve. I want to get better at what I do. Um, I want to be a better person, better dad, better race driver, sports person, whatever it is I'm doing, I don't like standing still. If I'm lying in bed, I'm, I'm lying still, you know, it's even worse. Yeah. So it's about progressing, about progressing my interests and living in alignment. And, um, that filled my cup, you know, if I'm, if I'm, yeah. if I'm doing that, then, then I'm, I'm rolling. I find that like, if I'm, if I'm on a holiday for too long and it's a, you know, fairly sedentary holiday, then by day three, four, five, I'm kind of scratching around a bit by day six, seven, eight, I'm, I'm quite unpleasant to be around. So. I like doing stuff, you know. I like being busy. Okay, wow. Do you, do you think you're always like that? Were you like that as a kid? Were you pretty hyperactive and just always wanted to get things done, or no? Did no, the switch I mean, happen at some point? Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think the switch happened when I started being able to connect input and output. Um, you know, if I was doing stuff and and making no progress, then I found that really demoralizing and wasn't particularly academic and and the like. The first time I really recognized it was in sport at an early age when I, was, I kind of recognized the hours put in equaled, you know, progress. And then, you know, that started filling me up and I started realizing that actually there isn't a shortcut. There's no lift, you know, it's actually just step by step, you know. And, and as soon as I had that penny drop, then that was really powerful because then you can really get stuck into the journey, right? Um, and I think that a lot of the, the stories that get glamorized when you're young are like people that make it overnight and all of that. And you kind of go, wow, that's incredible. Like, I want to be that person. And actually, there isn't, it's very unusual, very rare. 
and that that takes away from the fact that the journey is mega and um and if you can really prioritize the journey then every day is great not just the moment when you achieve all of your wildest ambitions so no i've always been like that it's been a real gradual progression you know for age 15 through to 35 um it, it's 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 been a staged approach and there are still kind of months and quarters where I don't have the same energy. Um, and it's often because I'm playing out of position. It's often because I'm not linking input and output. And so my input isn't having the same level of output. And that that's what I find really difficult. Do you find that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about business like we said, but, you know, how can you always know what the output will be in advance kind of thing? You know, like, so do you, with stuff that you're doing right now, like let's say, for example, even racing, right? Um, I feel like with physical sports, it's a little bit easier to say, right, I'm going to go and I'm going to I'm gonna do these drills. I'm going to, you know, do my 100-meter sprints on X amount of times and whatever, and I'm going to increase my speed. I'm going to do these particular drills where I can jump up and down, whatever drills you want to do to increase my speed, let's say. And you can see the clear, I do this, I get that as a result. But with things that are a little bit more kind of I don't want to say intangible but just a little bit harder to kind of to, to, to really get a grasp of what needs to be done in the first place um how do you go about doing that or how, how do you feel like do you feel like you're pretty good at you know predicting what the output should be in advance ahead of an input even in an area where you may not be as familiar yeah I mean racing is an easy one because super tangible it's like sport right you know I'm going to a track tomorrow I know that my optimal time there at the moment is 211.8. And so I'm going there tomorrow and I'm going to go for 211.3. And I know my coach can do 210.5. So, you know, that's always my aim is to get as close to my coach as possible. Look at a tenth of a corner, there's 12 corners. I'm trying to get 0.12 off him. So that's super tangible, really, really easy. Um, Every day is different because conditions are different every day. But generally, I'm looking for a tenth per corner against my coach. in terms of business, you can do the same, right? Does your coach know this, by the way? Or <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's his, okay. it's his yardstick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I take, I've okay, taken nice. his, um, his yardstick. Um, <laughs> I think he'd be worried if I was if I was any closer than that because he's a professional racing driver that does this every day. I okay. am not. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I then he'd be like, you know, right, sorry, man, I'm taking over your job now. It's uh, <laughs> it's official. But, and I, you answered your own question, really, because... Um, you know, in, in the business world, you can you can codify and gamify it as well. And you know, the the most um, common phrase for that is KPIs. You know, and if you're if you're progressing against your KPIs, I guess the bit which is more intangible than that is um, how to measure impact and how to measure value that you're creating. And the way in which we do that, the way in which I've tried to kind of formalize that into something which is meaningful is by the stories that are created from the work that you do. You could walk away from the end of the year and go, it's been a good year. I feel like we've had a good amount of impact. The question is, give me an example, how, why, etc. And if you, if you kind of flummox by the first question, then you haven't created a good impact, right? So for me, it's about the stories. It's about that client we've worked with where our work has genuinely changed the way in which they operate. It's about the people that we employ where they've progressed to such an extent that they're now leading teams or they're just completely different animals to the one that started the year. So, and that, you know, that, that list of stories should be as long as possible. Um, 
So that's the way in which I measure it from a kind of super intangible perspective. Okay. So you tie it back to things that you know, and yeah, that makes sense. This episode is brought to you by EcoSwap. EcoSwap is bringing together the UK's favorite eco-friendly high street brands onto a single gift card, allowing you to give the gift of choice, where your loved ones can choose from brands such as The Body Shop, Rituals, Toast Brewing, The National Trust, and many, many more. And our gift to our listeners is 10% off your first purchase with EcoSwap when you use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. What sets EcoSwap apart is their commitment to sustainability and ethics. They meticulously curate their brand selection, ensuring that each one meets rigorous standards set by esteemed certifiers such as B Corp, 1% for the Planet, Climate Neutral, or they're a UK registered charity. With EcoSwap, you're not just giving a gift. You're choosing to support the UK's best brands that are genuinely committed to benefiting both people and planet. So go ahead, give an EcoSwap gift card today. Visit ecoswap.uk and use the code GOODFORPROFIT at checkout. That's good for profit with no spaces for your 10% off your first order today. Impact is definitely an interesting one. I mean, we're all about creating positive impact in the world here whilst creating successful business. The two can certainly go hand in hand. Um, and speaking of impact, you are doing something that's a little bit um, out there when it comes to uh, one of your companies and the industry that you're in. Uh, so can we talk a bit about Keen Partners and kind of well, some, of the, some of the work that you do and uh, why, why you're different, what you guys are doing differently to try and create that impact piece in the world? Yeah, sure. So Keen Partners is a specialist firm that helps companies access government incentives for research and development. Um, so we're seven years old. Uh, in the UK, we're a team of 45. We've got a team overseas as well. And we help SMEs access that, those incentives. Um, we're 95% of the way through the B Corp application process. And the, the, I guess the, um, the two founding pillars of the business, um, haven't changed since day one. It's, it's, uh, I've been amazed by how, how well they've stood the test of time. One of them was let's create an experience for clients, which is unparalleled in the market. And the second is let's create a culture and an environment where people can come and thrive. And obviously those two things go hand in hand. They were the problems I wanted to solve and they were the problems which you know, all of our activities should drive towards. You know, and happy people lead to happy clients, happy clients, happy people. It's a virtuous circle. Um, and so a lot of the work that we do, a lot of the initiatives, the culture, the external speakers, all of the, the work that is around I guess the running of the business needs to align with those two pillars. Um, and if it's not, it's probably because it's a, either a compliance thing, an AML, GDPR, et cetera, you know, it has to be done um, or we're doing something wrong. You know, those, those two things need to be front and center at all times. What you're doing this a bit unusual though is the B Corp side of things. Is that common in, in your industry? So we'll be the first independent R&D advisory firm to have B Corp status. Um, and you know it's a hell of a process it's it's been an investment in time and uh, uh, what what i found super interesting by it is that obviously there's a gold standard that they're looking for for how you operate your business and i wanted to go through it firstly to be a stamp of approval and, and you know have a, a really um well-known certification for what we do um 
but also because I thought the process would be really interesting in in um, improving the way the business operates. And it has been, you know, there's been stuff which has been highlighted where you go, actually, you know, this is what good looks like in terms of your green credentials. And you go, okay, um, mostly it's around monitoring. You know, we didn't monitor to the extent that they were hoping to see. Um, so we can put Are in we place monitoring really... monitoring kind of CO2 uh, footprint, exactly. stuff like that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So our team traveled around the country on trains. Um, I didn't know this, but, you know, we use a, a business platform. You can actually see your CO2 output um, for all your train journeys. Um, oh, wow, you know, that's so, great. So on, 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 on the train line, um, on this, this app, yeah, wow. it tells you your CO2 for every journey. Um, so, yeah, that, that type of thing was, it was all about actually just capturing the information. And, and, um, and there's, you know, there's a nice long list of things that, um, that we've been able to incorporate because we've done the B Corp process. Did you find you were doing a lot of the stuff already, but just weren't keeping track of it essentially? We were doing a lot of the stuff anyway. Um, we scored most of our points on employee well-being, So we've always prioritized that we're, we're a financial services firm, right? Our product is our people. Our culture is, is, is critical. Well, not all financial service firms feel the same way. (laughs) um, And I feel like you would know that better than other people as well. You worked a little bit within the financial sector, right? Um, early on yeah. in your career. So. Yeah, I worked for a couple of big firms. I, 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 I don't know, maybe I'm being kind to them. It is harder for a big company. You know, we're 45, 50 people is a lovely, lovely size. You know, you've got five or six teams, it's five to eight people and, you know, really good bit of management layer, really good senior leadership team. And yeah, everyone's got kind of access to everybody. So it's much easier to, to get that nice culture. Um, but I, I don't know. I've not, I've not run a business of two, three, four, five hundred people yet. So you know, I don't know how, I don't know how difficult it's going to be at that stage. It was tricky at the twenty to twenty-five person stage. I tell you, really oh, hard. Really? Yeah, there's this phenomenon in, in in scaling business where it's it's cynical up to twelve people. Um, between twelve and forty is quite challenging because you're too small to be big. You're too big to be small. Structural presses aren't necessarily in place, um, and it can be really, really difficult to get across that. They call it the desert. Um, so it's only since coming out of the other side we've been able to really structure things um, uh, pr- properly. It's, it's been a it's been a, a really long, pretty arduous journey, but um, but worthwhile. What what's what's the so the, you know you're stuck in between? You're too small to put everything into a process, but you're too big. Um, to not have processes around things, so pretty much you you can't rely on people just kind of coming up with their own stuff and doing their own thing or whatever. Um, you need a bit of structure to kind of guide things along in the right way. Um, how did you guys deal with that? I mean, you've gone past that now, so you're the fifty sixty sort of range, right? How did yeah. you guys deal with that? What what was your approach? So to focus on the team leaders, um, there's an expression in in leadership that the line manager sets the weather. And if you think about the fact that if you have five line managers managing five people each, you know, that's that's overwhelmingly the majority of your business um, for, for, you know, a medium-sized company. And um, those people are often not prioritized 
often they're the the highest performing individual within their specialist skill, not necessarily the right leader and have the right management traits. But those are all things that can be taught to the right people the right, the, the, with the right willingness to learn. Not everybody, importantly. Um, but we, we spend a lot of time working with them on how to lead teams, how to inspire confidence, how to put process in place, um, how to raise performance curves. And we've got external speakers to come in um, and really coach people through that process. And um, So are you, are you telling me that there isn't a natural born leader who can merge teams really well and then just everybody else? <laughs> um, you said some people weren't coachable. Obviously, that's uh, just, uh, yeah. Uh, you said some people, though, weren't necessarily suitable for that sort of thing. Um, how did you identify who would be who would be the right person to focus on and help become a better leader and um, who just wasn't kind of up to the challenge. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a long, there's a long answer to that. I'll try and give you the short one. Um, some bullet points, I suppose. One, somebody that puts the business above ego, super important. Um, to someone that has a huge amount of empathy that listens before they speaks. Uh, three, there's someone that wants to set an example, lead by example, but also wants to bring people up and raise them up above them. Um, four, somebody that is selfless in the, their pursuit of their ambitions, um, and their ambition should be that their team hit their um, hit their targets for them. Um, I could keep going, but you see what I'm getting at. The, the yeah. danger is that your highest performing individual and the one that speaks ego. the loudest, um, and 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 really importantly and this was something that we learned fairly early on is that a typical route for that person is high performing individual gets a lot of status a lot of kudos etc rightly so you know they put in a, a serious shift they're taking it really seriously get elevated to, to to management status doesn't naturally fit with their skill sets you know they're not they're not used to failing in that respect get disillusioned depart right or get dissolution, get demoted, right? Interesting. But you just lost a high-performing individual that actually probably didn't really want it in the first place, or after they've experienced it, they definitely don't want it. How can you create a place for them that makes them feel special, doesn't feel like they've been demoted, and yet allows them to do what they do best and really love it? And that was a, a huge realization for us that we could create space for that person. Um, if you think about who they are, often they do want to teach people. You know, they do want a role which inspires others, but they don't want to be in charge of creating training structures. You see what I mean? So how do you yeah. create a role which is really aligned with their interests but doesn't um, constrain them? And so we spent a fair amount of time thinking about those individuals. Um, how do we elevate them, put them on a pedestal, rightly so, encourage them to to kind of smash targets and keep going and going and going and yet also create a structure whereby they can share how they do it with others without giving them a leadership position and all of the kind of challenges and the all admin the and the constraints tasks that come along yeah. with that sure exactly is is that just a part of the nature of being a growing business in that kind of region so can if you have this kind of person now say or when you're 100 or 200 people um but let, let's say now uh with what you're doing would you, would it be the same case? Would it be the same case that you treat them the same way and try to do, create the same space for them? 
Or would it be the case that you've now got enough resources and cross-functional teams and so on to be able to say, right, somebody can create the training and do a lot of the operational stuff and you can just focus on the bit that you're best at instead of... Um, or is it still kind of the same thing applies? It's down to the person, the individual. Same thing applies, right? Because, you know, let's take let's take the sales team here, the business development team. Um, the best people to create this, the training content at the sales guys. You know, they, they they live and breathe it. There's no point in somebody from an operations HR department doing that. Like, they can formalize it, but the best guy or girl to deliver it is the person within the BD team. Um, so... Operations are the enabler in in that example, and the, the high performing BD is the deliverer. Um, and we found that as a nice little structure. So going back again, then, so let's say you have five leaders and five, you know, and five person team per per line manager. Let's say, um, and you're growing and you're going with that. Then what? So obviously there are other challenges that come in that you still have to try and overcome to grow beyond that part of, you know, the 25 people or 30 people stage. Um, aside from what you've mentioned already, what are some of the other biggest challenges that you came across when you were growing your team beyond that point? Um, so if we took a look at it from, I guess, a macro perspective, um, as you grow as a leader, it's very easy for um, your head to get pulled to one side or the other. And what I mean by that is, we're seven years into our journey and we're only now launching our second product. Um, we saw huge value in the focus in becoming um, what we would consider to be, we always talk about um, the fact that we only want to do something if we have the shot of being the best in the world at it. That's part of our values, right? We're not going to do something half-baked. So um, it's taken seven years to, to refine this product to an extent that we think it's within that 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 ballpark, and only then are we are we looking sideways. Now, the amount of times over the seven years that opportunities have come up within just specifically talking about keen partners in the R and D advisory space to look at other jurisdictions. Ireland have an R and D scheme. Um, France, Belgium, they all have other opportunities. There's different bits of legislation within the R and D tax legislation as well that you might get pulled towards. Every time it kind of gone, no, no, and on reflection, so grateful that I did that. And you know, to people listening to this, going, this feels like it's kind of not that entrepreneurial, and you might be missing opportunities and alike. I totally take that, and and it's not going to be right for everybody. But for my journey and our experience, you know, I wouldn't change any of that for the world because the simplicity that that's created for us has meant that we can go so deep into the nuance that we've refined it to such an extent that the process is so clean, the team is so knowledgeable, and it's so well understood that there's the, you know, the marginal gains are minor now, and, and we can now shift our attention, um, albeit with a separate team, yeah. not taking their eye off the ball, but, but to a second product. But wait, what was that pull? So you'd go into something and you're like, uh, no, something doesn't seem right or feel right. What is that? Um, firstly, a confused customer doesn't buy. So if you've got multiple products, you know, you, 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 when you're going in, you can take a BD team that's used to doing 300K a month 
and they're walking into their client interactions really excited about something new and then they walk out with no sales even though they've got two products so that's a that's a an issue um and secondly there was always a lot more market in our single product my first product so there's no need to no when you look at it and you went we need to put in so much effort um investment etc the upside is there but the upside you know for if we just pull all of that effort and investment it's what we're currently doing doesn't stack up you know and that does come at a cost of diversification and you have to be prepared for that that needs to be right for you um but for us it has been right you know and and it's a bit like when Gordon Ramsay goes into his kitchen nightmares and goes, the menu's too big. You're better off doing a handful of things really, really well. It's exactly the same. Okay, wow. Interesting, yeah. And and, and that's part of um that's part of the thinking that goes into whether or not you want to build new business lines. It's just it building new things and pushing new things out is such a natural thing for entrepreneurial people um to do. If you're founder of a company, CEO, whatever you're a leader in your company, it just comes naturally to come up with a lot of ideas and things that you want to do. But then being able to hold yourself back, that that's the that's really the hard part. Um and you strike me as someone, I mean, when the first couple of times we met, I could kind of tell that you're you're quite grounded, but you've also got vision. You've also got you also want to go and achieve certain things. You have your, you know, you have certain targets in mind and things you want to do. But at the same time, you're quite grounded as a person. And so quite often I meet entrepreneurs um, and, you know, I mean, myself included uh, in, in the past at least, where there's like a grand vision and things you want to do and you just go after it and chase and try to achieve all these different things or do whatever. Um, and I've had to learn the hard way to kind of be grounded and be like, right, look, let's take a step back and kind of think about this. But it clearly comes across that you've got that already. Um, and uh, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm inaccurate about my judgment here. But if I am correct about it, I'd love to kind of dig a bit more into that area uh, with you. So have you always been like this? Have you always been kind of quite grounded or did you have to learn again to just take a step back and think, do I really need to do this? It's, it's, um, it's been a learning process. Um, again, okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, all right. the phrase I use, <clears throat> excuse me, is goal-orientated journey-minded and what I mean by that is goals are really important to me but they should never come at a sacrifice of the journey and if the journey is not enjoyable then I don't believe in the point of it um, so I'm not about to build keen partners to an extent that it's ruins the rest of my life <laughs> um you know and and as soon as uh, you know because because the the external side of it if you strip it all back why are you doing it all um i'm doing it all because um i want to live in life in line with my values like i mentioned um i want to be a role model for my son um i want to support my family and i want to support my external interests i want to live a long and happy and healthy life like i mentioned aligned with my values but that shouldn't mean that day in day out you sacrifice all of the things that i've spoken about so that one day you can live in that utopia um 
And so I'm absolutely adamant in my belief that you can do both. And that's been a battle royale for, 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 for my whole career is, is, is balancing the two and, and ensuring that you can have your cake and eat it when it comes to balance. And it comes in, in bits and spurts, right? There are times when I'll recognize that more effort is needed from a work perspective. And there are times that I'll recognize that I can just take a moment. And I think being conscious of those is, is super, super important. Recognizing the signals that you are overweighting one or t'other is also really important. And as soon as you're aware of it, you can start to control and manage it. And, um, haven't always been like that. You know, I've gone, if you, if you think about it in terms of a, a, a growth, I've gone from to smooth curves, you know, okay. um, and it's a sign yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Heart monitor through to yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how how did that how did that come about? What or what made it come about? Did you go through a certain experience and think, screw this, I never want to be here again? Or was it just kind of projecting ahead and thinking, wait a second, this is not sustainable for me? Yeah, I think my wife was a large part to to play in that. You know, she's grounded me a huge amount. That's incredible. Um, and it's shout out. It, shout out, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think I think she's been a huge she starts playing that. And you know, she keeps me she keeps me in check. Like if I if I go too hard sometimes she'll tell me if I she also recognize when it's important that I'm doing that and we talk a lot about it. Um but I also when I track back to kind of where a lot of my motivation comes from, I I grew up feeling like a fraud in my own skin. And it took a long time to um, get rid of those insecurities to such an extent that I felt comfortable with myself. And it was only really when I was able to shake that off could I see the wood from the trees, see the bigger picture and understand what it was all about. Um, and yeah, that, that's, not, that's, that's, that's an ongoing process, right? That's really deep, man. How if you're happy to chat about it, I mean, why do you th- where do you think that came from? I, I know exactly where it came from. It was it was growing up um, and having the privilege of going to an amazing school when really I had no right to be there. Um, and the economics of it is that my dad was a teacher, and so I was allowed to go there. But I was at a school that, you know, everyone else was in a completely different circumstance, and I felt like a fish out of water, you know. And, um, and it lit a fire in me and, and, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting because I wouldn't change any of it. Right. It's just, I wouldn't change a moment of it. And I was always kind of a bit worried that when I got to a different position, would that fire be extinguished and I would be floundering. And what I found really interesting is that as that fire has got less bright, other things have taken over purpose um people values family uh, the journey that's that's taken over and, and much stronger um than than what it was before it was a it was a different energy before uh, and one that came from a relatively unhealthy position you might say um wow so yeah and and it, that hasn't that wasn't like a flick of the switch that happened it was um really gradual 
it's such a, a deep fear. Um, I know for a lot of people, and I know for me, that um, it, the fire burning out, you know, it's like if, if that fire burns out in some way, then am I going to lose motivation to go after all the things I want to go after and achieve all the things I want to achieve in life? And I feel like that fear resonates with a lot of people. And that's, you know, that's why, that's why your movement, the topic of this is so pertinent, right? If you're doing something which every day contributes to something bigger than you, a fire is going nowhere. A fire is going nowhere. You know, it's, um, the only caveat to that I would say is that let's say you have five values and one of your values is giving to the world right your your other four involve being wow seeing parts of the world you've never seen and connecting with your family and friends you know whatever it might be and you are um to excuse a better phrase overweight in the value which is giving back and you neglect the others you can really throw order on that fire because you resent that process, you resent that project. And so, you know, you've got to be able to do things in balance. Um, and if you can get that balance right, then you're looking at longevity and, you know, it's a marathon, not sprint, this whole process. So, um, yeah, there, there's, there's, there's certainly a huge amount of... I really agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I, re I really resonate with that, man. It, it's, um, I've always thought as well that, I mean, my our approach with this is, again, there is an element of pragmatism here where it's not just about, oh, let's go and fix the world and make everything better. And like, you know, it's not, well, let's not be idealistic about it and let's not be naive about it. Um, and let's do it in a way that enables the, enables the, the, the good things, the good effect, the positive impact to carry on sustainably, really. So the whole concept behind, you know, good for profit is really we can do both. You know, you can you can build a great business and create a lot of value for yourself and your shareholders and, you know, help achieve the life of your dreams through the business that you're doing, whatever it might be. But at the same time, you can be leaving behind something positive in the world and creating impact. You don't have to be doing one or the other. And that's actually a really interesting thing. You mentioned that because it's it can feel hypocritical, for example, to say, I'm going to get involved with a type of business that doesn't have a, a positive impact element in a, in a real, you know, hard sense. Like, for example, it's it doesn't try to cut carbon or it doesn't try to do this or whatever it might be. But at the same time, I'm going to be doing something else on the side that has that impact element in it. And I feel like that can maybe feel hypocritical to be doing those two things, but actually it's not, you don't, it, my view on this is that you don't, ha not everything you're doing has to be, you know, a good for profit, so to speak. Um, and I think part of it really just comes back to this whole point of balance and, you know, um, yeah, making sure that you're looking after yourself in all the different ways that you want to do it, whether it be through businesses you're involved with or whatever it might be, but making sure that you're kind of looking after the whole the whole piece. 
Um, I've always liked the analogy of, and I want to get your thoughts on this, looking at life like a mosaic of uh, stained glass. So you have different shapes of different colored bits of glass in this lovely looking mosaic. And, you know, one might be kids or family, one might be relationship with your loved one, one might be, you know, wealth, one might be whatever. Like you can have all these different elements in it. And different ones will grow and take different shapes and shrink over time, depending on kind of where you are in life. Do you feel like it's more like that? Or it's more that you're trying to equally distribute attention, time, energy to all the different things at the same time for you? No, no, the one, the mosaic for sure, right? You know, my son was born February, February last year, last August. Family was a very oh, large a mosaic for in say Leo. Yes, yeah. Oh, there you are. Um, wow. And uh yeah, the urban year. And um yeah, that yeah, that was a that was a it was huge. You know, that that was huge. But but um that's not I couldn't do it forever, you know, because um it it wouldn't be right for him in the long run, you know. And yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you talk about you talk about balance, and we've obviously, it's a word that's come up a lot. And let's think about, as a business, you know, it, a lot of what I do as a CEO is resource allocation. Um, I assign profit to, um, and I assign income to either reinvest or to certain initiatives or to extract from the business, you know? And I have to make a decision regularly about exactly how we're going to assign things. Um I would suggest my biggest responsibility is for the 65 people that I employ in giving them the right journey through from the moment they join to um, wherever they end up, right? It's to nurture and grow them, not just in terms of their skill set, but in terms of their mindset. And it's one of the challenges which I've faced in the past is how do you progress those people at the right pace? Um, how do you reward them at the right pace and help, help them with that mindset evolution in the right way? Because if I was to distribute absolutely everything, be really unbalanced, right? And go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to over distribute. You know, for me, the, the, the purpose of my businesses are to distribute wealth amongst their employees, right? You could turn around and go, well, that's a really amazing, noble situation. Like, that's perfect. But what happens in COVID when we've got no resources? And what happens when I turn around to people and say, um, hey, guys, um, you need to work a lot harder. And by the way, because of a couple of changes in the industry, income's not going to be the same. And they go, wait a minute, we're used to getting X for Y. Now we're not. Their mindset is in the wrong position to be able to take that type of, of, of kind of change. And so I've created a, an unstable business and um, a culture of entitlements that means that we're not going to withstand a storm like COVID. You see what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So in my Absolutely. position, I've got to try and balance the resources and mindset growth for everybody such that we're here in 30 years' time and still thriving. That's success as, as a leader, right? Not Q1 was a success. It's too short term. That, the former yeah, is too and, short term. Yeah. And and so balancing and, and then the, the other side to it, I think, is 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 if you flip it around, you go, Okay, I will I will I will extract loads from the company 
I'm not leaving with enough cash. If I if I don't extract anything from the company, then as soon as it starts becoming really, really hard, it doesn't serve me and all of the effort I put in, I resent it. And I start to hate it a little bit. And then I'm not bringing my best self to it. So there's a spectrum of all of it. And, and you've got to be aware where you're landing on, on that spectrum. Wow. But that's a really hard thing to do. It's the, I think the hardest thing is recognizing that it's a spectrum and that you're going to be at a different point at different times. I think I would say this is something that I'm grateful that I'm unlearning over time is that it's with the word balance, it throws you off a little bit. Like it's not a seesaw where you've constantly got to keep everything, you know, like it's quite hard, right? To like, fine, there we go. Got it it's, nice. like, yeah, yeah. it's quite difficult, right? So it, it's about, it's okay to be on different parts of the spectrum at different points, depending on what is needed and to adjust. It's like different levers on a dashboard and mm-hmm. adjust different things accordingly. So, um, and, and, and the challenge mode in that is recognition. She recognized it three months later, could be too late, you know, and, and, and the strategies needed to recognize. And um, I can give some examples if you're interested on like how you yeah, yeah, do absolutely. that, because it, it's, it's, been a, it's been a journey as well on, on that front. Like I said, if you, if, you, if you pick it up six months later, it might be too late and you've already, you've already screwed it. So the, the first one and probably the most pertinent is having people around you that and a forum to be able to raise these things really openly and discuss them. If you've got that and you can say, right, what's going on? What's, what's the vibe? What's the culture? What are people saying? Like, how we, how is this happening? What's going, what are the KPIs saying? And like, what can we read from it? And what, what, what was caused that crucial. And then the second one is, is more of a self-reflection thing. And for me, it's around journaling. And I just, I just spend some time just checking in with myself regularly going how's where's my head at what's going on how am i balancing things out where are my values at um am i spending too much time on this or that or the other like am i being the right type of leader am i being the right type of husband at the moment what am i prioritizing what am i neglecting and is that appropriate and half an hour doing that on a monday morning it just gets me just just stabilized just to understand where i'm at and if that's okay and those two things make the world of difference when it comes to ensuring you've got balance that's really cool i love that you've approached it from external internal and made sure you've got both pieces in the puzzle there's the where are you as a person where is your mindset at the moment and how are you seeing things and how are others seeing things and perhaps they can point out blind spots that you're probably you may not be able to see right 100 yeah how do you provide that platform for people so uh, let's say, let's get, can we maybe touch on both personal and business? Let's start with, I mean, I feel like personal is a little bit easier, um, I, but we may be worth touching on both. So both, it sounds like something that you've got a lot of practice with. Um, starting with business, how do you provide the platform for employees to speak up and be heard um, and feel like they can say things openly and so on, but maintain a level of, you know, professionalism, respect, and and everything else. Um, some people struggle with putting boundaries in place. Um, it might be too late if 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 there are if it feels like there are no boundaries and and they struggle to put them in place. It might be too late at that point. So yeah, just kind of how do you think about it and how do you provide the platform? Yeah. So really importantly, in our business, we are very respectful of reporting lines. So someone in a team 
they report to the person, but then that person reports to the person, but then, because otherwise you can have multiple messaging going through. But we can also set up structures that transcend those reporting lines in an informal way. And what I mean by that is we'll often do things called walking talks where it's a half hour, everyone is encouraged to be outside on the phone and it's cross team, cross department. Like I'll speak to someone in the ops team that would never normally have an interaction with and vice versa. And and the the agenda is there is no agenda. <laughs> Look well, what's on your mind. You know, and some people will come into it like, out of a really he's talking about something. <laughs> you know, last half an hour. And sometimes it's like, cool, tell me about like the whole lady you went on. Like, do you want to talk about anything in particular? Like something annoying you, something cool. Like and so just, you know, that that's a nice informal way of doing it. And I guess the the next piece of that is to have a culture in your leadership team where um egos don't really exist and you're happy to be wrong. And if you've got that, then you're prepared to listen, ideas, thoughts, etc., landing on fertile ground and you're going to do something with them. And that's not to say we're in a business where we've got a suggestions box and every suggestion reaction. That's not the case at all, right? Um, but it is right to listen and it's right to take things on board. It's right to gather opinion. And, um, and you know, something that we've been working on for a long time. Yeah. One, one, one interesting, I guess, penny drop we had was that when we were really young, we used to make changes all the time, right? It'd be, here's an updated agreement. Here's an updated part of the website. Here's an updated process. And so it just con it, like, it feels constant for the people in the team. And they're walking in on Monday morning, you go, God, I, what's going to happen here? And that's not a, it's not a comfortable place for them to be. And Absolute so what we chaos. did was, <laughs> Alec, um, what we did was we, we, we put in place a structure where first week of the start of every new quarter, we have a offsite. And we, it's been like a software update, right? We stored everything up and then did it in one go. So there's stability and then an update. Stability update. Do you see right. what I mean? And so right. those offsites will be a, there'll be a mixture of here's something that we've recognized. Here's an improvement to our agreement. Is it, is it change to a process, an update to a policy? Here it is. But also, here are some things that we are interested in getting your thoughts on because we're going to change something. Let's have a breakout session, and we want to pose a question to you guys to to, to really throw around. And what you're trying to do is is get the best parts of their their input, but not necessarily it be the the place where they make the decision, and you have to go with it because sometimes that's not the right thing to do for the mass as well. Um, well, sometimes you need time to think about it and then, you know, make sure you're measuring the right data as well to back these things and so on. So, yeah. Um, really interesting. Do you do offsites often or quarterly, about half a year, yearly? What's the sort of uh, cadence? Yeah. So, January is like two days, stay away. That's the big one. We do a big review on day one of the year before. And then day two, we do a big what's the plan for this year. And then at the end of every quarter, like I mentioned, performance, breakout sessions, etc. I mean, it's always the week after the end of the quarter, so we can get the data together. And then those are sometimes half day, sometimes a day. We'll probably with some training. That's where we do the um, you know, big team social and what have you. So there's four a year, basically. Okay. Really yeah. cool. It works really well. It's one of those things that you put in place. We put it in place in 2019. 
and then just hasn't gone anywhere and it never will you know it's 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 just solid yeah i love it when you find stuff like that um when you put certain processes or things in place that just make such a big difference and they just yeah you don't move them around it's such an amazing feeling to find those little nuggets it's quite tough to find them sometimes but it but it's incredible to find them i've got another one which i, I don't know how widespread it is but it's worked so well for our business um I, I always wanted to be quite generous with our holiday leave, like our annual leave allowance, and um, went through kind of a couple of different structures early on, didn't work. And we landed on one that is perfect, absolutely fits the bill. And the challenge with having multiple annual leave days for a big team is that, you know, people are away at different times. So it could be a week, two weeks, et cetera, when people just aren't crossing over and it stores projects, communications from what have you. So what we figured was when we're all away at the same time, it's fine. <laughs> it's just a pause. It's just a pause. <laughs> exactly. That's actually brilliant. So, so we have um, three company shutdowns a year, four company shutdowns. They're non-mandatory, but they don't cost holiday days. Um, so you might as well, right? And um, so one at Easter, one in August, and then one at Christmas, you know? And... What it means is you have this kind of end of term feeling where before he's just like, come on, let's get that down before the end of term, let's get it done, let's get it done. And then boof, Relax. come and shut them. Wow. You can probably switch off because everybody's off. You know, the email signature says, Keen Partners is close for Easter, you know, and then the worst public, because we have a business overseas, they have different holiday company shutdowns. They pick up the... Or what? Do you know what I mean? It, it just oh, it fits. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So perfect. that does help because they oh, have wow. different religious holidays and, and such. So it works really well for us. Um, but even before we had the business overseas, it worked. You'd normally have a couple of people that stay behind to man the phones. And, you know, that works quite well as well. And you kind of do that on a rotor. But, um, yeah. Mate, Highly that, recommended. I, I think I might steal that at some point. You know, when <laughs> once what I... I feel like, well, when when would you say that would be good to apply? Do you think it's something you apply right at the start of the company, like when you're a five, six, seven, ten people team, or do you find, you find because I feel that. like you, you yeah. may rise too small at that point, wouldn't it, isn't it? So, No, 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 you're good to do it then. If it's easier then, like, and I think, you know, I'll caveat everything that people listening going around a manufacturing company stop proof. Like, I, I, I totally understand it's not right sure. for everybody. Sure, sure. Um, but the concept might, the concept might be adaptable. And you know, it means that my team have the equivalent of thirty plus days, um, and yet the impact on the business is is managed. Um, and it's also a perk that it can be removed. You know, whereas taking holiday days as a whole down is a difficult one. But you know, we, like during COVID, we didn't do a company shutdown. We were working. You know, we had to. Um, it was one of those moments where you go, guys, we've got to we've got to pull in together. This is an unusual situation. Can we have show that's not going to happen this year? And everyone went, get it, totally get it. It's either that or furlough, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Um, I don't want to yeah. be furloughed. So. Yeah, screw that. Um, exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. I think, yeah, having it as a perk is, is a really smart idea. Um, yeah. And it also makes sense. Everything kind of ties in with business over ego and the, the values that you mentioned, and then having the right leaders in place, and then making sure they make people feel heard and, and so on. But at the same time, you sounds like you're providing your staff with a great culture to be a part of. And so people are incentivized to be the best version of themselves, but also open and honest about everything and 
you know, it sounds like you're building a really, really cool, great team culture. We've been doing a lot of stuff on teams recently. It's, it's really, it's, I, I love that we've been talking a lot, a lot about teams on the podcast. Um, just because it's something that's, you know, A, is the most important thing to a business um, fundamentally. Um, but moving on from teams, um, I want to talk a little bit about other stuff as well uh, that you're involved with. Um, does involve people naturally, given that it's businesses and communities and things like that. But you're involved in quite a few other bits and pieces um, other than Keen Partners. Can you maybe tell our listeners a little bit more about K-Labs, about Opus, the wonderful uh, community, whether that's actually how we met? Um, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about those things as well? Yeah, sure. So Keen Partners was, was business one. Um, business two was a company called Connect. Um, it's in, in Kazakhstan. So it... Um, it was quite a it was quite an interesting story. I was in Davos. Um, I was there advising the governor of Kazakhstan on how to build a R and D incentive. Um, he said, "Come to Kazakhstan, and when you meet a load of people, we'll speak on this panel." And I went, "Okay, fine." So uh, I jumped on. That's the, exciting. On the plane. Well, how, how did that come about? <laughs> um, Sam Tidwell Norris. How did that come about? You know, <laughs> brilliant. Um, so Sam Brilliant. Sam is 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 on the advisory board for Kim Partners and and so we we got chatting about about Kazakhstan and so we went there Sam and I went there and sat in love with it um, ended up hiring someone and then it's just grown it's just it's just sparked ha- from there I have to ask before yeah. we jump deeper into this stuff what do you think of the food there <laughs> um, it's not my taste okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, horses are for riding, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to say it specifically, but I thought, you know, let's, <laughs> let's touch around the subject. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've had, I've had horse once before, and it was so good. Um, but I felt really bad about having it. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I understand. Anyway. But it, if anybody has the opportunity to go there, it's a phenomenal place. Good, and it's me. It's just, it's just. You mean it doesn't look like how Borat Borat made it look, huh? Okay. Yeah, the Kazakhstani government have hired one of the most um, renowned PR agencies in the world to try and unwind some of the damage caused by that film. How incredible (laughs) is that? Oh, man. I mean, the movie was a hit, right? Yeah, a lot of people watched it, and a lot of people weren't aware that the country even existed before watching it, so. Um, but it is a beautiful place, right? Beautiful region. Um, really nice nature out there. Yeah. Yeah. And just the most incredible people, like hardworking, conscientious, um, just a huge desire to learn and so, so enjoyable to work with. So yeah, Connect grew 2019. Um, it's it's now got its own brand, its own structure. It was going to be called Keen Partners Kazakhstan until I learned that Keen in Kazakh means tick, and I don't mean like tick. I mean like oh, tick. like the <laughs> no way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you definitely parasite. don't want that, yeah. Um, so we wanted to give you its own identity, and and so yeah, they came up with the name Connect, and so yeah, it grew from there. And then K Labs is a is a holding company that that brings everything together. Um, so we're a small team that look after and oversee the management of Connect in partners, and 
um, in 2019 as well as when we formed our 2040 Now Opus. Um, so it was my former head of operations, Sam, and a couple of others that all clubbed together to get it started. Um, and yeah, we, 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 we saw the kind of the value in building an opportunity community, a connection engine. And, um, yeah, what a journey that's been for yeah. us. So, I mean, I can attest to the power of that community, man. It's absolutely incredible. I, I don't know what you guys, how you've done this or you've done something right. And it's, I like it. It's an area that I really want to understand more around, uh, if not in this conversation, definitely at some point in the future, but how you build a community and make it so that people are genuinely engaged. They genuinely love being there. It's the sort of like a, a good amount of touch points um, with everything. It takes skill to be able to do that and to be able to curate, um, you know, the right kind of people together. And you guys have honestly done a wonderful job. I'm, I'm not saying that because I'm talking to you. I'm, I say this to everyone. Um, Jeremy, I've done a wonderful job at Opus. So really, really good stuff there. I'm, and I love being a part of the community. I think the, the biggest challenge with Opus has been finding what our place in the world is. And I think that's the challenge with any business, right? What's your identity? Are you a R&D tax firm that prioritizes client service or are you one that is just about growth? Very different, right? And you can do, you can do both, but really you need an identity, which is, which is solid. Um, Opus has had a journey through discovering what its identity is. And the early stages, you would say Opus was about, um, developing young leaders. And then we realized that we, we can't compete with Ted. We can't compete with the Power MBA. We can't compete with Harvard Business School. It's not. It's not going to be our world. What are we really good at? Like, what what actually are we really good at? Well, we're really good at bringing people together that are going to have commonalities in a really nice environment, such that you can grow your network to an extent that you know you might unlock opportunities that never existed before. And as soon as we worked that out, it was like. Oh, okay, cool. We'll just do stuff like that, you know? And so everything is then lined up with your identity. You go, how do we make those interactions, those collisions, really interesting, fascinating people colliding in the right environment? And that means, you know, let's get someone to talk about ESG and construction, and then people are going to come that are interested and then boom, they're talking about it. And so it was the identification of our identity that really, that really took that forward. Um, and I would say to anyone listening, like if you if you are not able to articulate your identity in a wanna, then you probably need some work. So what is what would you say is that one liner? For, for Opus? For Opus and then for Adam. <laughs> <laughs> for Opus it's it's um it's about bringing people together. Okay. You know, it's bringing people together. And if you say, if somebody say, why, should, why would I join Opus? You go, because within the first 12 months, you'll probably meet between five and 15 people that will genuinely change the course of your career. You know, uh, okay, why would I not want that? Right? It's a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, my, my identity is, is hopefully, um, create impactful stories. You know, we talked about it before. I'm less KPI driven, more impact driven, and I, I measure impact by stories and it's about stories, you know? Um, and I, I, I want to have a positive impact 
through the stories that I hear. Um, and even if they are very loosely related to something I've done, I'm taking it. <laughs> I'm putting my name on that. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, that, that's that's really powerful. Yeah. Do you think that that changes over time? Do you feel like that and see, like on a personal level, uh, we'll go back to the business in a minute, but on a personal level, do you feel like that's something that evolves over time or do you kind of pick something and then you're stuck with it for the rest of your life? If you if you'd asked me five, six years ago, I would have given you um, a stock answer, right? And then um, I would have, is- if you'd said something, something similar, and if you said, really, Adam, what is it about? I would have gone, what's well, about getting rid of this monkey on my back that makes me feel like a fraud every day? That would be the true answer, right? And so, yeah, obviously it's changed, you know, and it's going to evolve and it will continue to evolve and I'm I'm glad it will because it'd be boring if it didn't. Yeah. Do you think values evolve? Definitely. 100,000%. Yeah. And, and the weight you should put on those values will evolve as well. Right now, I'm in the worst shape of my life. However... I'm just why you're wearing com- the jumper. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the nice baggy nips. Um, however, I've never been more comfortable with that because I've been prioritizing my son, my wife, and my team because that's what's needed right now. And I know that's going to come and go, and that's absolutely fine. I also know that if in five, six weeks I still feel like this, that mm-hmm. that's a mistake. Just getting to that point where it's like, no, no, no. I've got to slightly rebalance things in the interest of everybody around me. I've got to slightly rebalance it. But I'm also completely comfortable with where that is right now for that reason. You know, and and, and because I've been putting so much emphasis on those other three big pillars, goodness me, I'm seeing loads of progress there. Um so I think they evolve and so the priorities change regularly. And I think on the, the macro scale, some will come and go. I've had it before where I've looked at my values and gone, I'm not connected with that anymore. One of mine is adventure. Mm. We spoke about this, right? Yeah. I used to be yeah. into like off-road motorcycling and overlanding and like all of these fun days of me and the wife that just got fun, dangerous um, stuff. Yeah, pretty much. And that used to fill my cup loads. Um, I, I struggled to connect with it now because. Actually, if I was to do any of those things, he would he would hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and because he's hating it, I'm hating it. And so now, like you know, these like you know maybe slightly boring stuff like stability and 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 stuff become more important. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's 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 fine. Let Let's touch more on that um, the stability. Um, your living situation is a very interesting one. I would love to chat a little bit about that as well. Am I right in thinking that you've got a bunch of animals um, and, you know, a bit of peace of mind uh, where you're living at the moment? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We um, we we moved out of London a couple of years back. Um, I always thought that I grew up in the countryside. No, I, I, I was buzzing about moving to London, and ah, when so I was there, you originally grew up there. Let's see, no, I didn't grow up here. I grew up, I grew up in another part of the countryside. But okay. I always knew that London would have an expiry date for me, 
and I, I knew I knew what would happen. I would suddenly all the things that I found amazing. I would suddenly just find really irritating. Um, okay. And, and, let, uh, let's and top, the, top three things. Let, let's hear them. So, you, what were you looking forward to the most that you found the most irritating? You can just be honest, and I know it's going to have to do with the some probably to do with the people. But hey, being surrounded <laughs> by people, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> being surrounded. By- um, people, air quality, access to nature and activities. Wait, you thought the air quality was going to be great in London before you moved there? No. Oh, sorry. Oh. <laughs> no, those are the big three. <laughs> no, no. The things I, things no, I, I wanted you. was I wanted to be near everyone. I wanted to be in the action. I knew it was the perfect place for my career, etc. You know. But actually, I, I wanted to. I wanted to move out for those. Three. Those are the big three plus others, right? But yeah, of course, space. of course. Um, yeah, we moved to to Suffolk. Um, bought a really old uh, this this part of the house I'm in right now is 500 years old. Um, no way, that's so cool. I'm I'm six foot four. There are beams. The beam to get in my bedroom is five foot. I'm not kidding. I had to bend double to get under it. It's a joke. Um, but it's it's got so much history. And it's, yeah, I can um, imagine. I can imagine, and, and yeah. you're, you're thinking, you're training your back at the same time while you're at it. So, why not? <laughs> <That's it. laughs> but yeah, we 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 wanted to we wanted to get out here, and we got a couple of dogs and chickens, and we've we planted about fifty acres of, of wildflower and about four hundred trees, and it's um yeah, it's been it's been it's been a really enjoyable process, and to us, our little utopia. And it's a little spot away from the world. It's super quiet. And what I found really interesting is that I now love going to London. You know, going a couple of times a week, go see the team, go see clients, and I love it. I, I get on the train, and I the whole process is fun for me. And I'm there to my energy, phenomenal. And then I love coming home, and I get home, and so I get the best of both. It's so good, and. I love the commute, so it's really sad, but it's just great time. And um, so, to yeah, listen it's, to our podcast. It's, <laughs> I listen. I listen to inspiring podcasts, and oh, uh, there we are. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's it. You know, it's just it, it's it's worked out perfectly for me, and it's it's not for everyone, but it's it's very aligned with with me and my wife's. Yeah, I mean, you say it's not for everyone. The, the one of the reasons why I want to talk about it is because. I've spoken to a lot of people recently who are thinking on very similar kind of and uh, very similar ways, going somewhere beautiful, buying a bit of land, build, like either building something there or you know getting something that's just whatever, something that's nice that they like, and getting some animals and you know having some chickens, getting some fresh eggs in the morning. There's, there's a reason they call it the good life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's becoming yeah. popular again, right? Because like at one point I, you know, it wasn't the popular thing to do. It was like, no, you don't want to live on a farm. You want to go and be in the big city and whatever. But uh, I think COVID, thanks to COVID, it's become yeah, it's become popular again. I can I know where my chicken's going to lay, so I can do chicken to toast in less than four minutes. <laughs> oh mate, don't rub it in. Damn, <laughs> it's still warm. I'm just going it's, in the pan. What? That's so good. So we we get um. In London, at least, um, we get them from uh, from a farm nearby. Um, and and well, well, the thing is, once you have farm, like actual free range, you know, literally roaming around, eating whatever the hell they find and so on, 
Um, once you have those eggs, it's so difficult to go back to just regular supermarket ones. But I thought we had it good and it would be like, you know, in the morning they'd pick it up from the farm and then deliver it on the day. Whereas four minutes from uh, from chicken to toast, that, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna, yeah. We'll, we'll have to compete at one point and shave off a few seconds off that. So, you know, three minutes, 55. <laughs> do, do you know what's been interesting? So we've been here for two years now, two and a bit years, is it, there is a conflict, right? It, there is. You know, I'm sat in an old farmhouse looking out on a field where there's about 40 deer just over the hole, just, just gnawing away on my wildflowers. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you're, you're, the, the contrast between this bubble and, and then what I'm, what I'm doing elsewhere, it's taken a long time to come to terms with. Really? You're asking yourself the question, like, <clears throat> what's your identity? If, you, if you're happy to out there cleaning chicken crap and, you know, mowing the lawn, um, how can you also be happiest in your business? You can't be happiest in both. They're very different. One's, you know, wearing a cream pullover and one's wearing a barber. Like it's, 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 it's very, it's very different. And so it has been, I've, I've had to, I've had to understand how those two things collide. Um, because, you know, you watch someone like, something like Glaston's farm and you go, Hmm, I could do that. And then you realize that you'd be giving a not the half. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It raised 174 pounds profit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you see what I'm getting at, right? Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, I. how did you discover that? How did you come to terms with it? What was what was the reflection that made you come to terms with it? Um, the, this, you, again, you can do both. Um, you can do both. Did you find similarities? You know, I feel like there's a bit of a stoic element to to both running a business and looking after land or animals, right? I think I think the contrast is 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 really nice and it's important. And you know, to be honest, I'm still kind of tells that I'll have a different answer for you in a year's time. For me, I've realised and learned that it is possible to do both. You know, you can you can shut your laptop and be out there in 35 seconds, right? Um, I do a lot of staycations where I'm not going away. You know, why, why would I want to stay here? Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a phenomenal team that mean that that can happen without it being crazy impactful. But I also am aware of the fact that I'm young. You know, I can I can gradually evolve this place in my free time, and at some point, it's going to be a larger part of my life. But you know. If I was to, if I was to solely work on it now, and you know that's a one-way ticket. It's very difficult to then go back into the city or uh, go back to building a business, and and I'm not ready for that. And I don't see, you know, I mentioned that one of my values is evolution. The journey of evolving as a better CEO for me is much more interesting than the journey of evolving as a better wildflower meadow planter. But that's not always going to be the same case. And sure. I'm really happy with that. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. They're two very, very different things. Um, yeah. One of the things <laughs> I found, so I mean, let, let alone living, living uh, where you are, would, would you call it a farm, by the way? Or what's, uh, are you, how are you it's happy called, with that term? Okay. Yeah, it is a farm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Got a barn cool. and a tractor. It's a, it's a farm. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Good. Okay. Because oh, yeah. I just want to make sure I'm calling it where you're happy with it, right? <laughs> um, it just doesn't, just doesn't we... farm much, but it is a farm. <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
we um this would be a beautiful other way so um we go fishing in suffolk sometimes uh me and my friends um we try to go once a year and just kind of a little little wild camping trip definitely legal <clears throat> um and and do do a little bit of uh, a little bit of fishing it's good fun um but going back to the the kind of contrast between where you're living and going into the city I studied in Cardiff. If FYI, we both studied in Cardiff Uni. That's something I found out a little bit later on. Represent. Than, yeah. Yeah, represent. Absolutely, man. Although, you know, you were there when I was a kid. Uh, so, uh, just, just. just. <laughs> I was waiting for that. I'm kidding. You know, you know that. Old. <laughs> um, so, but did you, did you find this as well? I mean, I studied in Cardiff and, but I grew up in London, obviously. So I would go from Cardiff to London. And it would just be a world of a difference. So I I remember at one point, um, after being in Cardiff for like three, four years, I'd go back to London and I almost wouldn't know how to cope with it for the first few days, first week. I'd need to get back into the rhythm of, I'm, okay, I'm in London now. You know, things are fast paced. People are rushing everywhere. Um, th- there's just a lot more to do and to, there's a lot more to handle. And th- even, even the two both technically capital cities but even then, there was a big contrast. So let alone what you're experiencing now, going from where you are into the city. Are you still able to cope with London, if I may use that term? Yeah. I, 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 the things I saw as a negative, short of the air quality, that's the one thing I noticed even worse. But I now love being around those people. I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty cool. Like, I get the buzz and the energy and you listen to people chatting and you feel, you know, I feel like a bit of a... Uh, an alien but that's fine i, I really enjoy it <laughs> but yeah that yeah, you are and, with your but, but we're, we're, we're talking two days max really right okay yeah okay yeah. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough yeah but one thing i want to touch on that is staying sharp um this is this is the thing that i feel like london does to you is it constantly rubs against your edge if you're a sword that is and and just keeps you sharp the whole time. And there is constant. It, it it's even. And I mean, there are countries, by the way, that I've been to that where that's even way way more. But you know, there are certain places you go to where even just to order something from a store or or <clears throat> to do something fairly basic like queue up for a whatever, you have to really be quite sharp and on it and just to get that thing done. And I feel like especially when we're younger, there is something about that that's quite quite good to have around. Definitely. Actually, for me, for me, the biggest um, highlighter of that is the Opus community. And the members of the Opus community, in my mind, are the most forward-thinking group of young people out there. Why, thank you. I, I, I'm never... <laughs> I am never more nervous doing a talk than I am before an Opus talk. Wow. Honestly. Really? Because they think that they're they're so advanced in the way they think Um, to such an extent that I love spending time with Opus members because it makes me, it sharpens my soul, right? And and, and, and so, you know, I I get that hit from spending time at York Road, you know, in the Opus, in the Opus office. Or being on the Opus talks, being within the chat groups and the circles, and and just getting involved in in those sessions, um, and you know the businesses that are being built there, 
goodness me, it takes me often 25 minutes to get to grips with what they're doing because they're so advanced and it's fascinating. It really is. Um, so yeah, that's my, I guess that's my ticket into like the, the, the advanced kind of future thinkers, uh, mindset. Speaking of different businesses and getting involved with different stuff, is there anything that you really want to build that you're kind of waiting that you don't have capacity to do right now that you want to talk about? You, you can say no, you don't have to talk about this. Um, no, is the answer. Okay. No, because I, I, let, me, let me explain. There's nothing you want to build, right? Um, okay. But there are things that I want to evolve. Um, I, I'm, I'm conscious of spreading myself too thin. You know, I'm involved in three great businesses at the moment, and that's my lot. And I really want to progress them to the extent that, um, yeah, I want to progress them. And if you think about Opus, the reach that it could have, phenomenal. Um, I think about Keen Partners and the opportunities it could have in expanding its service lines and even its jurisdictions, and it's huge. And I think about what we're doing in, in Kazakhstan. Um, and again, you know, we've we've only dipped our toe into that whole process. So um, my commitment currently is to those three entities, and. Um, haven't got anything else which I'm absolutely desperate to, to push ahead with at the moment. I don't really have capacity as well, to be honest. Um, Fair enough. I mean, that's your, your magic. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that those those three are all going to be they're all going to be disrupted by themselves. Hopefully, that's that's the aim. Um, they will look like entirely different businesses in the next three or four years, um, and they should do. You know, I once saw I once saw a really good talk. Hopefully this will resonate with someone that's listening because it really resonated with me. And we were talking about innovation, and uh, the, they said that this is the simplest way of um, of ensuring you have a culture of innovation. Set up something called a cannibalization crew, right? Cannibalization crew. Get um, people from lots of different departments together, and the single mission is to spend some time designing a company that would destroy your business. Brilliant. Spend an hour a month doing it. 10 people. Literally right? brilliant. And I'm that would be like, so much fun. And you think, hmm. about, think about the businesses that have gone under. Think about Blockbuster, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And we go, yeah, okay. But if you're, and, and the, the simple theory is that if you're not thinking about it, you should be because somebody else is. Mm. And I don't know how we got to this from what we were talking about, but um, no, but it's, 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 it's good that we got. Oh, it was interesting. We're, we're talking about disrupting your own businesses, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I was like, it's such an easy thing to do, right? Be fun for them. It's an hour everyone's time. You know, logistically, operationally, super easy. Why wouldn't you? Um, so yeah, it, it's just something I wanted to add in as a nugget because maybe that'll land with someone and they go, "Hell yeah, that's cool. absolutely." I mean, I mean, the special ops stuff generally, like getting together one person from each department, having them commit a little bit of time per month, per week, whatever, to special ops, just just like a mini special ops team. Find the people that are interested in the business who want to get involved with random, weird, experimentational crap, and just get them together. And I, there is so much. I mean, I love that kind of work to be honest with you. Um, but at the same time, there's so much juice that comes out of that um it's really quite incredible 
So, yeah. so, so this, some of the yeah. stuff I've I've seen from from ours, you're you're really like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're that right. That sense. would disrupt our business. It's also impossible. But but it's important though because you're looking, you know, hey, one day that could exist, and you know what what steps can we take well, towards I mean, that I was, right uh, now? I mean, with AI, um, there, there are there are so many things that I've been like thinking for a while now. Like, I can't wait for the day that this exists. It's just I'm not I'm not passionate enough or interested enough in it to build it myself. But I'm waiting for the day that it exists, and I'm seeing some of that stuff happen now. When I come around, I'm thinking, yes, this is great. Uh, the most recent one was um, that people are training AI to sound like loved ones who've passed away, and and. And I, and I see that. Wow. And, yeah, I know it's 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 high. It's it's black mirror basically. But I look at that. But the thought that comes to my mind is not that. The thought that comes to my mind is we can we can re we can basically have historians and great historical figures who've died passed away. We can bring them back to life in some way. Imagine having a conversation with like you know Marcus Aurelius or something. Wow. Right. Imagine having a conversation with Plato or whatever. Like you can. Which, would you would you want to have a conversation with a, with a lost loved one? I don't know if no. I would. You know, I don't think so. I don't no. know. If I would. Honestly, to to, I would need to sit down with myself for quite a while and meditate on that and, and decide whether or not I'd want to do that. But right now, the answer is no. You know, you know, it's um, on the central line. There's the the guy that goes mind the gap. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Is that you? It sounded a lot like him. Have <laughs> you personally? Um, now I listened. I listened to a podcast a couple of years back about his wife. Okay. Um, and that's the only bit of. Uh, uh, no. It's, she goes and sits there occasionally. And just huh. listens. I would do that. I would do that. If it was if it was in that scenario, I would do that. Wow. That's but still. I don't think I would do it. Yeah. I'm working with this um, uh, AI uh, production house, so producing stuff using traditional production as well as AI production. Um, incredible stuff. Had them on the podcast previously. Shout out to um, Real Dreams. They brought uh, a rapper's mom back to life using photos to be part of the music video, and so she's part of the video, kind of like you know, doing stuff that's, and that's pretty cool. Moving around, it's pretty. It's pretty awesome. Things like that, I think light touch things like that for me would be cool. But but building a bot that sounds like a loved one, I feel like it's a bit yeah, a bit strange. Um but bringing back, you know I don't know, who's who's a great hero of yours from Biggie centuries? There you go. Exactly. Right? <laughs> you can have Biggie. <laughs> but they, they they did that with the Biggie Duets album. A lot of that stuff was oh, was, was not yeah. recorded. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. It mashed a lot of that together. I'm joking. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> that'd be pretty, it, was, it was pretty cool to spend some time with Biggie. Definitely. But, um, yeah. I feel like you'd want to rap with them and just make a song together, you know, you and Biggest Smalls in the mic. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, sometimes when I'm listening, I do listen to a lot of hip hop. And sometimes when I'm listening, I'm thinking, did. Biggie and his crew writing this, you know, this song. Did they envisage that it would be listened to by a white middle class guy walking through a forest in Suffolk with his puggle? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm there. Just, yeah, I'm there loving every moment of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. It is, it is universal, though. This, yeah, I mean, some of this older hip hop, especially, is really quite universal, man. It's it's incredible. Um, since we're on AI, I wanted to chat to you a little bit more about AI. Um, what scares you the most about AI, both from a personal perspective and from a business perspective? So think about, you know, when you're trying to make sure that your business doesn't go under or whatever, what scares you the most about AI? Um, from a, from a product and our delivery perspective, I'm not scared of it. Um, from a, because the, the, and I, I can, I'll explain why, I'll explain why, um, I don't believe that anything can take away from that, like really, um, Sorushi powerful interaction between client and advisor there's so many dynamics involved there around politics um around the kind of that person's role within that business about group dynamics about um picking up nuances in the way they say things and it's there's so much nuance in there that I don't. I don't think. I don't think that bit's going to be replaced for for a client advisor relationship. And I should caveat myself, depending on what what field, right? But certainly in what in what we do, you you you're not you're not going to replace that interaction, and nor should you. It's not the right thing by the client. I don't believe. But I do think we can harness it. The thing which scares me the most is in what we were just talking about about. If someone taking my voice and replicating it and making it into something which is, um, you know, unseemly, or you know, replicating our business um, and language and, and the, the kind of the cybersecurity kind of fears that you can get from from that level of technology, and yeah, that that stuff does scare me. But from a kind of business disruption perspective, our plan is to chuck a, a lasso around it. And, and and harness it um and and not be scared of it right um and and from um from a personal perspective what scares you the most about what's happening with ai right now i think i think just someone like regenerating my face and voice in like some horrible way i think that would be really hard to have to <laughs> yeah would you do it yourself would you be would you deep fake yourself to save time? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, as in like as in like, oh let me let me just send my deep fake version onto a podcast. Yeah. Or no. or or do record a training video or something like that. Would you would you ever do that? What's that Bruce Willis film where everyone lives in their pants in this like AI thing and then <laughs> su surrogate have you seen surrogate <laughs> I haven't it sounds horrible <laughs> Dude, you need to watch, watch surrogate yeah okay let me, let me explain the concept right everyone right. is in a small room besides this they lie in this giant armchair connected to a lot of nodes right and they live their life through a surrogate which is like this perfectly pruned pristine robot version of them which is being controlled everyone is perfect right but they are 
ginormous, unhealthy, horrible people that haven't left the house because everyone lives through their surrogate. I don't want that. That sounds, sounds horrible. I want to live my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting way to look at it. I didn't think of it in that sense. Um, it's, it's a good film. It's a bit old now, but it's a good film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bruce Willis, you mentioned that. I thought, you know, he's probably like, what, 60 now? So, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think you, you might even have hair in that film. That's how old it is. Oh, whoa. Damn. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's a revelation to me, man. He had hair at one point. I, I only remember him <laughs> without it, to be honest with you. Early diehards. He's got, he's got okay. something going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about with um, kids, children, and technology and AI? and all that stuff you know the obviously apple vision pro is out now so i kind of wanted to ask you as a father um what are your rules around the house for technology and children i'll do these six months so it's easy um <laughs> nothing <laughs> no, no rules well you know he, actually funny funny you say that we live on a province right we live in the middle of nowhere there's a, there's a friend of ours that lives down the road um he could further in the middle of nowhere she started a, a WhatsApp group that's gone viral this this week. She was on the Today program, she's been on on the Red Surf, all the rest of it, and it's about um, trying to lobby the government to change the rules on the age in which you can get a smartphone. And it's gone mental. It's obviously hit a nerve with a huge number of like parents. And the honest answer to your question is, I think that it will probably be solved by the time Sarah is at that age. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. Because we're, we're, if you think about the digital the digital revolution, it's still quite young. So we've got time and there's going to be a huge amount of evolution in in in, um, in the safety, I believe, in the next 10 years before it really is a problem for my son. But, but you've that got means to balance that it. up until he's 10, you're not planning to have him use device as much or at all? Not at all. No, no, no. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. He's... He, he, Imagine him getting to age ten and not having used a device. He's going to be a. He's going to be a. Um, he won't know what to a do. Relic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a relic. So, um, yeah. So, so again, it's about getting the right balance, isn't it? So, so having some sort of devices is going to be useful. You think? Definitely. You know. You know. They're learning coding at super young age right now, and I wish I had. It's. It's so alien to me. I wish. I wish it was a, a larger part of my education. What I was saying was, um, was Adam Grant's just done this piece of research about um, children that play video games, and obviously everyone is oh, it's terrible, you know, kids, it's, it's ruining them, blah 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 blah. Actually, what they've discovered is that those kids have got um, much better cognitive function. They've got resilience. They're able to deal with adversity. They can deal with stress. They can deal with pressure situations. Um, because they're doing it for an hour in, you know, they're in there. It's really high this pressure. There's communication. There's often teamwork nowadays with you know, online games and alike. And so I, I think, I think some of those things are being undone. I think with everything and I'm so boring, I know it's a balancing act, right? You shouldn't do it nine hours a day, but I think it's a little bit okay. Yeah. I also think that a broad brush stroke on all of technology and all of devices is a is a bit of a, you know, again, it's just black and white thinking. So probably worth kind of being a little bit more selective with what is what and how to use different things at different times. Um, I'm so curious about the research that's going to come out over the next 10, 20 years about 
you know, this generational things that have been going on. It's just you need long term studies for this stuff. There, there's really, there's really no other way around it. So I'm really curious to see how things kind of turn out over the next 10, 20 years. What's your um, What's your approach to or What's your thinking around the use of social media and your mental well being? Well, that that's something that I'm. I would definitely distinguish between gaming and social media. I would say they fall on different sides of the spectrum, in my personal opinion, at least. Um, I have noticed the I've noticed a correlation. I'm not. I don't want to say causation, but it's a strong one. But I'm going to say at least there's a correlation between how actively I flick through Instagram or TikTok or whatever and my ability to focus on a day-to-day basis. So even even on that kind of micro level, I've noticed it. Um, and I've noticed that at times in my life when I feel better, I generally check social media less than at times in my life where so on a more macro level where I don't feel as good about myself. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I think we're in, in the same place. I had a moment last year, I was in the garden. Um, I think it was actually, it might have been the year before because there was no Theo. I was in the garden with the dogs, with some friends. And it was one of those like just happy moments, right? Sun shining, having a drink, playing some games, etc. And I have kind of complete habit, I get my phone out, open Instagram. And I see that some friends of mine are in Sydney doing the same thing. And I went, oh, God, it was so good to be in Sydney. In my mind, I said, it was so good to be in Sydney. I just checked myself and went, what's going on here? Like, you, you, you're, in this, you're in this perfect moment. And yet, somehow, by looking at your phone, you've been jealous and like, you've been made to feel crap about the moment you're in. That is dangerous, right? That's just one of those things where you go, nah, it's not a good piece of technology if it's doing that to you. Yeah, agreed. So I'm yeah. cautious of it. Yeah, yeah. same. Um, I'm conscious of the time. I want to carry on, but I know that we have a, a stop soon. So maybe we can end on something around values, just because I know how um, I know how much they matter to you. Um, I was lucky to attend one of your workshops that you delivered on values and goal setting, and I know that you tie values into a lot of different things so maybe I just kind of wanted to possibly end on that I think that would be quite a nice uh, thing to end on Um, I found it so valuable to look at goals in life through the value lens the way that you kind of taught it Um, and just wanted listeners to hopefully get a bit of that kind of a bit of insight at least into what that looks like. Don't have to go into the whole thing, but just a little bit around it into how you think about um, taking values, which we talked about a lot already, and then tying them into your day-to-day life and goals. Yeah. So I guess the the best place to start is why. Why, why have I done that? And the easiest answer is... Um, to ask yourself the question, what's this, what's it like to live your life misaligned with your values? And the words that always come out are it's depressing, feel lost, feel demotivated, not engaged. And all the words are really, really negative, right? And so you flip it on its head and you go, what's it like to live a life aligned with your values? And all the answers are the same. I feel found. I feel engaged. I feel motivated. I feel 
um, encouraged, uh, uh, alive, you know, all of these amazing words. And then you say, how many people in the room have, have values to their company? Everyone puts their hands up. How many people can identify their own personal values? Written down, they're aware of them and they're a big part of their life. Very, very few people, if any, put their hands up. And so what I try and do is encourage people to go through a process of identifying what those values are. What are the things that really fill their cup that are really important to them? And then instead of having goals that perhaps society have pushed on you, such as being wealthy, buying a house, having a family, you know, whatever those things are, you go, I should do that because TikTok looks like I should do that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> look at goals which are aligned with your values. Um, and so, for example, one of my values is wellness. Um, I want to be mesic, med- mentally and physically well, you know, really important to me. And, I, and, I, and so I don't ask myself the question, like my, my goal when it comes to wellness isn't something aesthetic because it's not important to me. When I drill it down, what do I want? I want a long, happy, healthy life. I don't want a six pack. I don't want to have, you know, huge arms. Those things aren't important to me, but I do want to be able to play football with Theo when I'm 80 and his kids, you know, I want, I want to be in an active state for a long time. I want to be able to move and, and feel and, 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 and be able to do what I want. That's a much more, um, exciting goal for me and so when i've got that as my long-term big ambitious blurry thing that i'm after i look at what happens this year or this quarter or this week that means that that's going to become a reality and so those activities those inputs they make sense for the big long-term output and so when i think about stuff like um you know, you might say, what about being wealthy? Got to ask the question, why? Why Why do you want that? Is it for a status thing? Is it because it makes you feel but like, actually drill it down. Why is that important to you? Most people will come back to something along, along the lines of stability, independence, um, risk, uh, optionality. Like those things actually are what wealth enables. And they're far more meaningful than a number in your bank. You know, the ability to um, take some time off to be with your loved ones, that's a huge thing which wealth might enable. So look at the why behind those things and, and, and that, that actually can really, really motivate you. So if you're able to unlock, um, if you're able to link values with your day-to-day, you can unlock a different motivation than you've ever experienced. And that that's what I try and do in that process. And, you know, I, I've, I've given you a three-minute summary of an hour-long... Yeah, you know, I know. Uh, so, yeah. so there's a lot more to it. But, um, you know, but that, that, might, um, that might just get, get a few kind of um, thoughts whirring for, for people that are interested in the goal setting process absolutely thank you so much for sharing that um and yeah the way that that can allow for consistency to be easier um that yeah definitely a lot of powerful power in that okay one last thing i'm sorry i know we're over already but one last thing what advice do you give to a young entrepreneur out there just one piece of advice be a mop 
more knowledge, filter it through your own gut and go for it. Seek stuff, leaders are readers, go absorb, be curious, ask questions, be prepared to be wrong, get as much information as you can, filter it, not everything's going to be appropriate. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's never going to happen unless you just get cracking. Um, and then the final piece to that is there ain't no substitute for hard work, I'll show you. My whiteboard. HWPO. What is that? Hard work pays off. Love it. <laughs> yeah. I might be 14 years into my career, you know, but that's my, it's in the center of my big whiteboard because there's no substitute, there's no shortcut. The only thing actually that, um, that, that guarantees that you're going to move forward is hard work. Brilliant. Thank you so much for making time today. And it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. I've enjoyed it immensely. Thanks, Adam. Uh, wishing you all the best, my friend. That was Good For Profit with your host, Mo. Thank you very much for listening. Support us. Please like, share, subscribe, and send it to whoever you think will benefit from this episode or will be interested in listening to it. We are, of course, in the early days and we're trying to grow the podcast. And so every share and every like and every comment does go a very long way for us so thank you very much for listening and if you have any feedback please let us know if you'd like certain topics covered or if you have entrepreneurs or investors or ecosystem leaders that you'd like to see on the podcast feel free to get in touch with us the link will be in the description below this episode where you can leave feedback and also get in touch with us to let us know if there's somebody you'd like to see on the pod even if you have no direct connection with them just let us know and our team will get on it to try and get them on here Thank you very much for listening once again and hope to see you in the next one.